You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. And now, Lord, let the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, can you just put your hands together and tell the Lord thank you. (laughs) To God be the glory for the great things he has done. Certainly to uh, Pastor John Durham and to all of my fellow proclaimers of the gospel. To these great aggregation of churches who have Uh, gathered here today Uh, to all of you uh, the official family of this great church and to all of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ and to the unbeliever if you're here I greet you in the name that is above every name Jesus Christ and I say it's good to be here it's good to be in the house of the Lord one more time And let me just say how excited I am for the opportunity to be able to speak into this moment and hopefully say something to the church that would stir us to be better disciples of Jesus uh, and prayerfully uh, stir someone in this room who may not know him as Savior to trust him as their Lord. And in that spirit, I want you to take your Bible and turn it to John the 12th chapter. Now I'm going to read just one verse of scripture. But I want you to consider uh, the entirety of this section. For what God has broken my heart uh, to say to this uh, collection of believers. Look with me at the John the 12th chapter look with me at the 33rd verse I'm sorry the 32nd verse hear these words from the mouth of Jesus and I when I am lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. I'm reading from the ESV, but if you're a church boy or church girl like me, you, you got Uncle Jimmy in your mind. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. It is Palm Sunday. And today we gather to commemorate the occasion when Jesus our Lord rides into the city of Jerusalem. All four gospel writers, if, 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 you've, if you understand and read the Bible and, and, and see the, uh, the, the, how the gospel writers harmonize, this is one of the stories that all four gospel writers tend to tell. 
and that's a good thing. It's a striking thing because uh, Hewlett Glower kind of reminds me that uh, the Gospels are, aren't, aren't to be read as these dry historical biographies. Those who wrote the Gospels were what we call evangelists. They wrote for a reason. John will tell you why he writes. If you look at his 21st chapter, he says, I wrote all of this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in believing, you'll have life in, their, in, in his name. So when you read the Gospels, don't read them like dry biographies. Read them like pictures or portraits. The pictures and portraits that they paint of the master. And here, this striking story fits the narrative of all four gospel writers. Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem on the on a donkey, on a colt, on a small horse. <laughs> and, and, and there the crowd lays palm branches before the street. And you remember what they cry out? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But I told you that the gospel writers are painting pictures. And, and, and if John is painting a picture of the triumphal entry, one word any reader of John would, would have to splatter all over the, this section of the text. One word kind of connects everything John seems to be presenting to you and to me. One word and one word only. And it's a word that I want you to hold on to as we walk through this sermon. One word. Glory. Everything about John's account is littered with glory. Glory is one of those evasive but weighty words in, 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 in the Christian language. It, it's weighty because glory seems to uh, encapsulate all God tends to leave behind. It, 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 seems to be, it seems to be the raiment God wears. Isn't it the psalmist who says that, that uh, or, or isn't it uh, Elihu in the book of Job who says that the Lord is clothed with glory? And, and then it seems to be the residue that God tends to always leave behind because it's the psalmist who says that the heavens declare the glory of our God. And then glory has to have something to do with how we honor or extol or exalt the Lord because you read it in, in Revelations 4 and 11. Worthy are you to receive glory. And then the hymn writer, and, and, then the, and then the psalmist says in his 34th chapter, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Glory has something to do with what God clothes himself in. It has something to do with the residue he always seems to leave behind. And then it has something to do with the honor that you and I have been called to bestow upon him. But you can't really pinpoint what with scientific and linguistic accuracy the word itself means. We just know what it is when it rushes by us. Glory. Glory. So I want you to consider this. I want you to consider that throughout the scripture, God seems to flex his glory and show his glory for the benefit of those who may not know him. 
You remember when he speaks to the children of Israel and talks about all of the wondrous works he's going to do in front of Israel's enemy. You know the recurring phrase that uh, the God God in the Old Testament always says, I'm going to do all of this stuff in front of their face. And then they will know that I am God. You get this sense the more you talk about glory and you think about glory that there's a grace in God's glory. There's a grace even for the unbeliever, even for the enemy of God, even for the one who is far away from God and who is estranged from God. There's a grace even in his glory because God has a way of showing himself to to the degree that those who don't know him can come to know him. And so let's use this definition of glory today as we kind of walk through this little section that, that, that glory seems to be the, the light God casts that makes him visible. The light God casts to make him visible. And so I guess then this message today is Yes, I believe I got something to say for the believers in this room. But I got something to say for the one who does not know Jesus. I think there's a word today for for some of you who, like Paul, life has been like groping around in a dark room, knocking over stuff, desperate for light. I think I've come to talk to you today. And, And I want to talk to you about a God who stands ready to turn the lights on in your life. I believe, my brothers and sisters, that glory is for the desperate. Glory is for those who who are hungry, searching for God. You know why I believe that? I believe that because this this text indicates that. Look, look, Look at the passage. Even in verse 20, we see that at this Palm Sunday scene, Greeks who came to worship just like everybody else, come to the disciples and they say to the disciples, Sir, we would see Jesus. They come to the disciples looking for Jesus. Can I just unpack a few things that I see there? First of all, note that it's Greeks who come. Jesus, you remember when he told the Seraphonician woman that I came for Israel and you ain't supposed to be giving food to the dogs? And then the Seraphonician woman says, yeah, Lord, but even the dogs uh, can, can, can get something from crumbs from the master's table. J- Jesus, so, so you get this sense in the New Testament that, 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 uh, that there probably were, that, that salvation is for the Jews, but here Greeks come. And even there, you see the beautiful cross-encounter cultural and racial makeup of the gospel. That's why I love gatherings like this, because you got brothers and sisters in Christ coming together under one roof from a diversity of cultures, a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of stories to proclaim one thing, that Jesus is Lord. And, 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 And my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, 
sisters, though, though the world doesn't really understand our bond, our bond is fundamentally biblical. And, and not only is it biblical, but it's eternal. Because when I read Revelation, I believe that not only will my earthly body be beautiful and black, but I believe that my resurrected body would be just as beautiful and just as black. Because the Bible says that, that, that when the multitude stands before the throne, there'll be people from every nation and every tongue giving glory to God. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but that's good news. And we see the glimpse of that good news even in this text because there are Greeks that come to see Jesus. Now, with every bit of good news, there's some pastoral, there's some pastoral heaviness I have to lay. If that is true, if the cross is the great, beautiful thing that brings us together, then anytime we put culture in front of the cross, what we have here is a heresy. What we have here is a, is a false teaching that, that, that when, my, when my culture or when my country or when my opinions or, or, or when my earthly views and my earthly philosophy have any authority that inform who I am in, in Christ over and above the scripture, I, I'm, I'm walking in error. Because in a real sense, it's the pure, beautiful cross all by itself that's going to bring men and women to a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. I got one more thing to say. The Greeks, watch this, come to the disciples looking for Jesus. The Greeks come to the disciples looking for Jesus. You remember the last time somebody came to Jesus' disciples trying to get something, uh, trying to get a glimpse of Jesus' power? It was in the scripture when Jesus and his three closest disciples are descending from the Mount of Transfiguration when a man brings his son to his disciples, to Jesus' disciples for healing and they are ineffective in healing the man's son to the degree that Jesus has to call them a faithless generation and say, how long I got to put up with (laughs) y'all? And and the father says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Here, the Greeks seeking Jesus come to the disciples. I want to weigh something heavy on those of you in this room who have a passion for Jesus Christ. From, from, from the, 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 the confessing believers from all four of our congregations, when lost people come to your church, they may encounter you, but they're looking for Jesus. Can I give you some advice? Make sure that when they come looking for Jesus, they don't stumble over you. Make sure when they come looking for Jesus, you're an escort, not a hindrance. Because, 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 because the way we treat folk, the way we talk to folk, the way we act towards folk, the, the way we can be sometimes so unloving toward folk has a way of causing folks to stumble over folks that ought to be escorting them to Jesus. They, they, they come seeking Jesus. I, I, I know that God 
God's glory is for the desperate. Because here in this text, Greeks who heard about him, who came looking for him, were allowed to encounter him for themselves. Another reason, another thing we see about glory in this passage is we see Jesus' perspective on glory. In that next section, in that next section, Jesus, Jesus will say, Jesus will say that my hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be crucified. And, 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 and look at and look at what he says here. He says, unless in, in, in verse number 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And, and then from there, Jesus says, whoever notice his shift from the proverbial to the plain, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world gains it, keeps it for eternal life. And then he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. That word follow has a coming alongside. It has an imitation connotation to it. He's saying, whoever's going to come after me has to do what I did. Notice he says this after he stamps this principle of wheat dying in the ground. And then he says, whoever's going to come after me got to do like I just did. He says, whoever's going to come after me must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And anyone who serves me, the Father will honor him. I, 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 I want to just pause right here and just say a few more things to, to, to somebody in this room. But look at what Jesus says. He uses this picture of, of wheat. Notice the... The, the seed. This seed he uses is a seed of wheat. But, but any seed, uh, 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 the, the logic is this, that, that, that in every seed, there's potential of a tree. In fact, if you really follow the logic, in every tree, there isn't just the potential, in every seed, there isn't just the potential for a tree. But if we really want to take the logic to its end, there's potential in every seed for an entire forest. But, but, but in order for that seed to become a forest, that seed has to die and go into the ground. Can I talk to somebody in this room who, who, who God has filled you with enough dreams and enough vision and enough ambition and enough passion and enough desire to fill up a whole forest? Can, can I talk to the seeds in this room that have a forest inside you? Here's the picture of the text that if the forest inside you is ever going to be let loose on the world, the seed that is you has to die. That, that, that's the picture 
the passage that, that, that if God is ever going to get the forest in you, outside of you, you got to die. And, and, and what does he mean by die? It, it's a picture of the New Testament. Paul says, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourself a living sacrifice. And, and, and so the dying is not just a physical death, although all of us who are blood-bought believers, although we kind of lose this reality in 21st century America, when it's still, uh, it, it's still socially acceptable to attend church, but as our hearts ought to always be heavy concerning our brothers and sisters in places all over the world who give their life for the gospel, we got to remember that there may be a point in our lives where, where we might have to stare down the barrel of a gun and still tell Jesus yes. We, 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 might, we might need to, even in the face of God, Tim Keller talks about his knees buckling. Even with knees buckling, we might need to give up our lives for the gospel. But until that day happens, we're, we're supposed to, Paul says, I die daily. I'm supposed to give my life for this gospel daily. Jesus says anybody who loves his life will lose it. There is some kind of double meaning in that. On one hand, you can interpret that right on its surface. Anybody who lives this life arrogantly intent on being a seed. I don't know why I'm thinking about sunflower seeds right now. What a waste. <laughs> There's a sunflower in you. But for whatever reason, you allowed somebody to put seasoning on you and stuff you in a bag and chew you up and spit you out. You, you, you lying, but that, you, you, you laughing, but that's a word for some workaholic in this room. That, 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 that's a word for somebody in this room who's so drunk with the wine of the world that, 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 that there, there's something great inside of you. But, but for whatever reason, because of your pride and your arrogance, you letting the world chew you up and spit you out. <laughs> and, 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 and Jesus says that if you, if you love your life, you're you going to lose it. That, there's a double meaning because in one sense, if you love your life, if you live your life with this sunflower seed arrogance, the, 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 the devil has a way of chewing you up and spitting you out. Sin always takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and eventually dumps you off at somewhere you never wanted to be. The world has a way of chewing you up and spitting you out. But then again, there's another meaning, that if you really loved your life, if you really understood who you were in Jesus, if you really understood all of the great blessings God had in store for you, you would forsake the world and sacrifice for him. He says, but the person who hates this life, now this love-hate dichotomy isn't an, an emotional love or hate. It's really an ethical love or hate. Biblical love is loyalty. And biblical hate is neglect. And so when Jesus talks about loving your life or hating your life, he's talking about neglecting your ambitions, your desires, your wants, and your wishes. And the promise here is that when you do that, the prize is eternal life. 
not just eternal life at that moment when you close your eyes down here and open them up there, although that's good news that still makes me tremble. Although that's good news that still encourages me, that's not all Jesus is talking about. The eternal life of the New Testament is that abundant life of John 10.10. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That, that, that's, that's a beautiful life down here that doesn't end down here. It, 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 it culminates eternally in glory up there. Jesus says if you're going to save your life in other places of the scripture, you'll lose it. But the one who will lose his life for my sake will save it, will find it. And, 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 and here's Jesus' perspective on glory. That, that glory uh, is, comes when you live your life in full service and obedience to God. And do you see what that last line says in, in verse number 26? If anyone serves me, they got to follow me. And what's the way of Jesus? It's the way of sacrifice. It's the way of self-giving love. It's the way of perfect obedience to the Father. And he says... Where I am, my servant will be also. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Simply it means to go where Jesus goes. Well, that's, a, that's a burdensome blessing, isn't it? On one hand, you don't get to go where you want to go. That's why Paul says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm chained to Christ. I don't go where I want to go. I don't go where I think my resume will get me. I, 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 don't, I, don't go, I don't go where I think I can get a, a good reference. I don't go where I think I can get a better salary. I go wherever Jesus tells me to go. And then he says, if you live a life like that, that goes where Jesus goes, the Father will honor him. Oh, that's Philippians 2, isn't it? That's Philippians 2. It's, it's Jesus becoming obedient unto death. Even death on the cross. And God has highly exalted him. And has given him a name that's above every name. Well, we, we, we see... We see we see Jesus' view on glory. And in, we see that the Greeks sought glory. We see that Jesus taught about glory. But then we see that believers ought to be caught up in glory. As a matter of fact, that's why I say that, that John's gospel triumphant entry, triumphal entry scene is, is littered with glory. Because, because look at what the rest of this passage before we get to verse number 32 says. Jesus now says, my soul is troubled, knees trembling, because Calvary is closer now than it's ever been before. And what shall I say? What am I going to say? 
Lord, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And watch what he says. Father, glorify your name. And then God from heaven, the Father responds and says, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Do you see all of that glory? Glory everywhere. First of all, you have the glorious Father in conversation with the glory-filled Son. And then the glorious Father in conversation with the glorious, glory-filled Son. And in that glorious moment, God reminds us that his name is going to be glorified. So you got the glorified Father, the glory-filled Son with his glorified name. This whole text is just littered with glory. Glory everywhere. He says, my name is going to be glorified. And I'm going to glorify it again. That the cross is going to be an hour of glory. And Jesus begins to talk about judgment. And then like a hammer hitting a nail. Says something that still rings eternally true today. In verse 32, he says, and I... If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men and women to myself. Again, I told you this is this is Johannine language. So 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 there's so there are multiple kind of levels of insight here. On one level, John is Jesus is speaking very literally, isn't he? He's speaking very literally about the very literal death. Jesus is literally going to die. Jesus was literally, physically lifted up by human hands. Isn't that the record? On on Monday, Thursday, while praying in the garden, human hands betrayed Jesus. Human hands arrested Jesus. Human hands dragged Jesus from kangaroo court to kangaroo court. And there they tortured him. They whipped him and they flogged him. From the courts of Annas and Caiaphas to the courts of Herod the Tetrarch. They humiliated him. They robed him in purple. They put a crown of thorns on his head. All of this took place by human hands. In my tradition, we say that they whipped him all night long. That's what they did. They, they whipped him all night long until on that fateful day he stands before Pilate. And Pilate's human hands dipped in water are washed of him. Who who shall I send to the cross? Jesus or Barabbas? You want to take the incarnate son of God? Or you want this thief, this insurrectionist, this enemy of the state? Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Jesus is made to carry his cross down the Via Dolorosa, up Golgotha's hill. And there, he's going to be nailed by his hands and his feet on this wooden cross 
and 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 when they nail him to that cross, they're gonna lift him up. And, and if you know anything about Roman crucifixion, Roman crucifixion wasn't just the most gruesome way Rome could think to uh, to execute you. It was the most embarrassing, humiliating, and public way. Crosses weren't just execution blocks. Crosses were billboards. Crosses were advertisements. Cr- crosses, crosses, crosses were public spectacles. You, you were hung on a cross and people and people came b- around you looking at you and saw you hanging there. And that was Rome's way of saying, this is how we handle folk who try to mess with us. They hung him high. And Jesus says concerning this very literal, very physical, very true death. He says, and I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You know, even in the literal reality of Jesus' death, this was true. You remember one of the thieves on the cross? Not the one who was up there talking crazy. If you're really the son of God, why don't you save yourself and save us too? It's it's almost like the sunflower seed trying to talk, uh, 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 talking on one side, and the and the and the apple seed talking on the other side. If you're really the son of God, why don't you save us, save yourself, and save us too? This mentality of self-preservation. But it's that thief on the other side, master. First of all, I deserve all of this. I'm here legally. You know, my my attorney didn't cheat me. I got a fair trial. I'm here dying for what I actually did. What did they say I do? Yeah, I did all of that. Yeah, I did even that. I'm here rightfully. But then what does he say? Master, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me. And do you remember what Jesus says? This day. One thing I like about Christianity is is that my salvation, my salvation isn't something I got to wait five business days for. That the minute I give Jesus my life, this day, what about my record, Lord, this day? Did, Did you read what I did this day? Thou wilt be with me in paradise, even at the cross, what Jesus said was true. And I if I am lifted up, I, I, I'll let a thief hanging next to me. I can get him into heaven too. Not, not even, not just the thief of the cross, but you got to remember that centurion. You remember that centurion, his hands are still bloody with Jesus' entrails, looks at Jesus dying. He doesn't say this at the empty tomb. He, he says this at the cross while Jesus is hanging there. He says, surely this was the son of God even in his physical death Jesus was drawing men and women to himself but 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 this isn't just a literal lifting because although although physical hands lifted Jesus in time Divine hands were lifting Jesus in eternity. You know how I know that? You know how I know that? Because, because, because it is at the cross, it is at the moment of Jesus' death that Paul says what he says. He says that, that, that Jesus became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Even death on the cross, and God hath 
rejected him. And, and it is there at the cross that he was given a name that is above every name. It, it's that Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. I, I don't just know that because of the exaltation, but I know that because of the resurrection. Because according to the scripture, he died on Friday. He was buried in Joseph's, in, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And in my tradition, we call it a borrowed tomb. You know why we call it a borrowed tomb, don't you? Because he didn't need it that long. He, he, they laid him in, in Joseph's borrowed tomb. And he stayed there Friday. And all day Saturday, but early. Can you just, can you just help me real quick? Can you just say early? Early Sunday morning. He got up. Do you know why we say early? Because the text says that the events of the resurrection happened before sunrise. So it took place early Sunday morning. He rose with all power. I know that it wasn't just a literal lifting, but it was a divine lifting because of his exaltation. I also know it because of his resurrection, but then I know it because of his ascension. Because in the book of Acts, the Bible says that after Jesus had charged the disciples, he was taken up into heaven. And, 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 the, and, the, and the Bible says that the disciples were gazing. And so I know, I know it because of his, because he was gazing and the angel said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus, the same way he ascended, is going to one day come back in like manner. I, I know, I know that it wasn't just physical hands that lifted Jesus. It was divine hands because of his exaltation. I know it because of his resurrection. I know it because of his ascension. And then I know it because of his intercession. Because the Hebrew writer says that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Here it is. Making intercession for me. And if it's God who has exalted Jesus, can I tell you why that's good news? That's good news because you and me, we get to get caught up in all of that glory. We, we glorify the name of Jesus. We magnify the already exalted name of Jesus. And in that work, in our work of magnification and exaltation, and in that work of worship, the Bible says he'll draw all men unto himself. It's like what the old hymn writer says. How do you reach the masses? Men of every birth. For an answer, Jesus gave a key. And it wasn't just the key for North Waco or Woodway. It was the key for South Waco and, and it was the key for East Waco. It, 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 it was the key for Bellmead and, and it was the key for Marlin and Chilton. For an answer, Jesus gave a key. He says, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And then he says, don't exalt the preacher. Don't exalt the pew. Preach the gospel, simple, full, and free. Prove him, and you will find his promise is true. I'll draw all men unto me. And then he says, lift him up by living as a Christian ought. Let the world in you, the Savior, see. 
trust him and do not doubt the words that he says. I'll draw all men unto me. Lift him up. Lift him up. Still he speaks from eternity. And he says, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. How do we get caught up in the glory of a glorious father whose glory-filled son has, has been exalted with a glorified name? We call that name. We call it in our worship. We call it in our evangelism. We call it in our living. We call it in our serving. We call it everywhere we go. I don't agree with, with I think it was uh, Francis who says, preach the gospel and sometimes use words. I understand the meaning, but that's just not biblical. It, it's preach the gospel, use words and your life. Use both of them. Bear witness with your life and with your words. That through Jesus, God raises the dead. Lord, we thank you. You're the glorified Father. We thank you for your glory-filled Son. Lord, we are grateful for your glorified name. Lord, teach us to give you glory. Not just in these moments of worship. But Lord, when we leave this high mountain, go back to our homes, to our dorms, to our jobs, to our families, to our communities, to our neighborhoods. Go back to the dark places that you've called us to. Teach us to give you glory. Teach us to take your glorified name with us everywhere we go. And we'll be ever mindful to tell you thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.